0: for the success story podcast. Thanks again for joining me. I am sitting down with Jonathan Shank, who is a senior manager and executive producer at Red Light Management. Uh, some of his clients include Magic, uh, Victoria Justice, uh, Maddie Pop. Uh, I was looking on his website. He has a whole bunch of family artists as well. I'm going to let him sort of go through everyone that he's worked with over his career. Now, uh, his current management clients boast uh, a total social media following of more than 60 million fans and have more than 1.6 billion total views. Uh, since 2012, the tours he's produced and managed has sold in excess of 2 million tickets and grossed more than $80 million at the box office. Uh, in addition to the music uh, that and the clients that he works with, all of his clients enjoy uh, successful careers in film, TV, social media, fashion. Uh so he is working with a ton of very impressive people. Um thank you so much uh, for sitting down, you know, giving us the story of how you got to where you are today and then um and then sort of just unpacking, I guess, your career and and what the whole industry of live and entertainment looks like going forward. So thank you. Thank you so much for
1: having me. It's a pleasure and uh you know, thanks for that amazing intro. No,
0: it's it's my pleasure. And I actually I wanted to mention this one thing. Uh, so you are also on top of all these accolades, um, a recipient of the 2020 TJ Martell trailblazer award. And I want to, I want to understand also what that means and, and what that means for you and your industry and some like, you know, the things that you've done, but so congratulations on that. Cause I think that's actually coming up very soon when you actually, you're actually going to receive that. But first let's understand all the way back. How did you get into live music production?
1: Yeah no, well, um you know, I think that uh, it's been an amazing you know journey and and still learning every day, but um uh, I grew up outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in a small town called Hatboro, and uh, there wasn't much of a, a music industry or music scene there, so I was always you know yearning to go to uh, the spectrum downtown to, to see concerts and to um to other venues around town and was just really curious from a young age to you know uh, be around live music and, and live experience my parents love still love going to concerts and and took me to concerts at a young age. I um, remember they took me to see uh, the Jackson five uh, um, on Labor Day in nineteen eighty four and that had made such an impact that um, you know I wanted to just keep you know being part of the experience so um, I wanted to go to college somewhere where there was a, a really rich music scene, and so I went to uh, Tulane in New Orleans and um, really just soaked up a lot of um, you know music culture and musicology and um, understanding for how um, kind of live music the live music ecosystem mm-hmm. comes together and, and, and works. Um, I took an internship when I was at Tulane uh, with the House of Blues in New Orleans. And that was, uh, um, the, I was among the first interns at the House of Blues in New Orleans. And I didn't have a very glamorous job. I, I, you know, Part of my job, including uh, stapling flyers to telephone poles <laughs> and also going into uh, men's and women's bathrooms to uh, hang flyers. So, um, you know, but I also spent time in the office just kind of looking at the marketing materials and the, you know, um, the bios and the photos and, the, you know, the marketing plans and the ad plans and trying to understand how how it all fit together. So that was a valuable experience. And, you know, I had a few internships when I was in New Orleans. I also worked for a record producer named Kim Fowley. Who uh, became a, a, a really great influence on you know um, on me uh, um, you know in terms of, of you know just really taking uh, you know taking chances and putting yourself out there and um, you know he he'd worked with with everybody from Frank Zappa to John Lennon and uh, and was instrumental in the creation of the the Runaways and um, when he had come to New Orleans. Um, he was working at a small record label. So, you know, I, I kind of helped him with his um, daily, um, you know, kind of operating chores yeah. you know working at that label
0: how did you run into him because that, that's a that's a so that was like a first an yeah. influence right yeah and man he was such a character
1: you know and and um i, I i've got some, some amazing Kim fowley stories how did i run into him you know i had begged i had been begging to get credit at tulane for an intern for for a music yeah. internship right because they didn't have a music business program but they had if you played in the jazz band you could get credit but if you wanted to be in the music business, you couldn't get any credit. So I had gone and I begged and they said, listen, if you find something in the music business, we'll consider it. So there was this one law firm in downtown New Orleans that, that represented some musicians and I called there seeing if they needed some, some help. And they said, well, we don't need any help, but there's this guy who's rented some office space here who's running a small record label and you, you know he needs some help. You should come down and meet him. And that guy ended up being Kim Fowley. That's
0: really it? So so that's, and he just,
1: that's. It was, that was it. I went down to the office and, and, uh, he had just kind of moved to new Orleans and signed a bunch of bands. And, and that was the, 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 the seed, you know, and the next thing I know I was in his office five days a week, just sitting there listening to him rap on the phone and, you know, talk to people about royalties and, and, uh, you know, deal making and all yeah, of those
0: that's things. Coincidence, and, um, eh? and sometimes he, it just works out.
1: Yeah, it was really cool, you know. And I mean he became a real, you know, we had we we had a real connection. He ended up coming to dinner with my family when I graduated Tulane. And um, I'll never forget he had on this classic canary yellow suit head <laughs> to toe. And he was a he was like a big, you know, a tall guy. And so, you know, I think he was like maybe six five or you know, he's a tall guy. So tall that tall in a canary yellow suit, I'll never forget. And, and, uh, but he was just a real, you know, uh, uh, super sincere. And and he was character. You know, he, he whenever we would get off the phone, at, uh, after I stopped interning for him, and we would keep up, and he would call me every once in a while to check in, he was that kind of guy. At the end of the call, he would always say, okay, stay teenage. You know, <laughs> and that was kind of his way of saying, like, just be, just stay you, yeah. you know? And, 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 uh, um, you know, what I can say about him is that there truly only was one Kim Fowley and he was truly himself, you know? And, and, uh, so he also wrote on the back of some business cards for me, uh, before I went to LA, and he wrote on the back of them, hire this guy, <laughs> Kim Fowley. <laughs> and so I, you know, it was, it was like in the 90s, so there wasn't any real, you know, uh, uh, smartphones or anything. So you did kind of still rely on business cards. And I, I did have a bunch of those cards with me, you know, and and I never used it, I don't think, but I do remember he sent me out to LA. He said, you know, when you go out there, if you meet with somebody in the music industry, show them this, you know, that Kim Fowley said, hire this guy, you know, he's that kind of old school, you know, true, you know, 60s, 70s mentality.
0: So after, after you worked with him for a bit, uh, where does that bring you now? Um, so you did your stint working.
1: So I, I, you know, that 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 you know was really the the kind of precursor to you know moving to LA and actually trying to inject myself into the the you know music industry. Uh, when I first got to LA, um, I was thinking that I wanted to work at a record label, and uh, so I was lining up for a bunch of those you know promotion and A and R type jobs. Um, I ended up. Uh, after a bit of a struggle finding something, I ended up being uh, an assistant at a small agency uh, whose artists included Jefferson Starship, uh, Robbie Krieger and John Densmore of The Doors, uh, Marshall Tucker Band, Dave Mason, and a lot of other you know uh, six you know kind of acts that emerged from the late 60s and, and early 70s. And so I cut my teeth uh, kind of learning about the touring. Um, models of of those bands who really were like touring warriors, you know, I mean, these bands would tour 100, 150 shows a year, like true, mm-hmm. you know, almost like the model that the Grateful Dead would employ or, or something like that. I mean, it was really all in volume, right? I mean, that was their business was it, it ultimately, if you just did one date, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't net out nearly as well as if you did, you know, several dozen dates, you know, and amortized all of the you know, expenses over a period of time. So I started to kind of understand how things come, came together. After a year of being an assistant, I got promoted to be an agent there. And um, there were some changes uh, uh, at the company, and i I ended up becoming responsible for a handful of those those artists. And in addition, I started working with some other at the you know uh, um, other grassroots artists um, that I was really excited about, like um, Sally Taylor and Backbone. Um, and, um, AJ Croce and a handful of other, um, Oakley Krieger Betts band. Uh, but, but really I started booking like a lot of Jefferson Starship dates and, and Dave Mason and doing that kind of through the early two thousands. And, uh, in the early 2000s, I moved over into management and, uh, had started working with, uh, the band war. And I was also working with Isaac Hayes and, um, and the boy band LFO. And um and and that was really kind of my first foray into management, uh day-to-day management and and uh, you know that side of the business having brought over the live side that I've been working on for the last ten four years before that. Um and you know they most of them were legacy acts. Of course, you know LFO had a had a hit record. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, there was a tremendous amount of um promotional activity and, and stuff that, um, was happening around them. Um, but, you know, in addition, I started, uh, managing my own band for the first time, uh, which was Particle, uh, um, you know, back in 2001 and, um, they were an electronic jam band and, um, you know, that experience, you know, within the, the next 18 months, of, within the first eighteen months of managing them, or you know, a couple of years, they were on Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza, uh, Coachella, and you know, were really at the forefront of the electronic jam uh, convergence. And um, you know, at that point, um, you know, I taken uh, um, moved over and taken a job at, at Direct Management and worked with Steve Jensen over there, who now manages uh, Katy Perry. And Steve became, a you know, a, a, another, you know, influence on, on a lot of what I was doing because he really knew how to combine the management side with the touring side. Mm-hmm. And um, at that time, uh, of course, when I was there, you know, Katie was probably, you know, not even uh, recording. But um, when I was there, the artists were B-52s. And um, Katie Lang, Tracy Chapman, um, and I brought over Particle, and we were also managing another uh, great uh, electronic band called the Disco Biscuits. And um, a lot of the seeds of the ideas that I started to carry forward into, you know, how I molded my idea of, of managing and producing and, and, and the live experience, you know, started from, you know, those early 2000s uh, you know, 2001 through 2005, um, you know, in 2000, in late 2004, uh, via, via, uh, Particle, you know, I, I was introduced to Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead yeah. and, um, Mickey and I had an immediate connection. And, um, you know, at first I was just thrilled to be able to have the, you know, opportunity to collaborate with him on, on, on a project and ended up spending some time at his house and in the studio. And, and anybody that knows Mickey knows that he's just incredibly, you know, welcoming. And, and, and if you're in his orbit, he is, um, you know, just an incredibly uh, gracious and sincere individual and also, uh, um, you know, brilliant, you know, and, and, and just an incredible conversationalist. Um, so, you know, that was really exciting. And, and uh, I carried that relationship forward and, Um, had been continuing to work with Mickey um, on some one-off stuff. And then I actually was staying in his guest house while we were working on some studio stuff. And one morning I got a phone call to the guest house and they said, well, can you come into the main house, into the kitchen for breakfast? Which was not, not something I like normally did. (laughs) Like if I, I would have breakfast in the studio or whatever, but like, the main house—that's like where they live. The family was <laughs> yeah. and everything. And I just thought, man, am I in trouble? You know, what, what did I do? And so I go in, and, and um, it was, you know, completely, you know, uh, um, uh, just chill. And uh, I remember Mickey and his wife saying, "Well, hey, you know, you're supposed to leave to go drive back to to LA today, but I was just wondering if, you know, you would want to start managing me." Hmm. And so that was, and so not only was I, you know, not, and I told him the story, I said, Oh, you called me? And I said, I thought I was in trouble, man, you know, and, uh, um, that really triggered a lot of amazing, um, you know, a handful of amazing years and, and projects, you know, and, and, Mickey really, um, you know, taught me a tremendous amount, but also he, he, he really drove me to open my mind about things and was the first, person to really have me producing events. And, and I didn't even realize I was doing it at the time, but it really was that bridge because he would call and say, okay, Jonathan, we got to do this event for the Rex Foundation. Hey, we got to do this thing for the Kyoto monks. We have to do this thing for Walter Cronkite, help me put it together. And the next thing you know, I'm producing events with Walter Cronkite, you know? And, it, you know, not even realizing kind of combining the managerial skills, and really just trying to execute as flawlessly as possible. But, you know, I didn't even realize at the time, like, okay, you're not just managing this artist. You're also producing the event on behalf of everybody else that's stepping on the stage that night. And so um, I've actually gone back now and told Nikki and his wife this story of like, Hey, you got, you know, we didn't, I didn't know it at the time, but like, this was groundbreaking for me that, that you opened my eyes to, producing various events and and um, part of that also was like mickey wanted to always be creative and working on different projects and we we recreated the the rhythm devils with bill Kreutzmann and mike gordon and steve kimmock and we did that in 2006 and then we recreated planet drum and global drum which we won the grammy for in 2009 for best contemporary world music album and Mickey Hart band, which had George Porter Jr. from the Meters. I mean, one of the great, you know, kind of, you know, serendipitous honors of my life is being able to introduce Mickey Hart from the Grateful Dead to George Porter from the Meters. I mean, two of the greatest rhythm masters of, you know, you know, uh, yeah. of, of of the world. And 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 um, you know, for those that don't know, George Porter Jr. was just named the the one of the best top 50 bass players by Rolling Stone magazine last week. And, you know, just, um, you know, the, the, the fact that, that, um, those meetings and those projects were able to come to life really gave me the confidence to be able to, to carry it forward and, and, um, to see that, that, um, possibilities were endless and just had to continue to, um, be creative and, and keep keep my mind open and and uh, you know just uh, work as hard as I can to you know to push things ahead.
0: And that's when at at Red Light Management, that's where you're at now. That right. So, so that was. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. I was gonna. I was gonna yeah, ask. Like that was when you were you were already producing these live shows. You had already had that, the experience in management, and then you transitioned into to Red Light. Was that far from where you? where you were sort of i guess actually sorry that's a bad a poor way to phrase the question how long did you start producing shows before you transitioned into red light and then walk me yeah. through what you did there
1: no that's a that's a great question so um you know i worked with mickey up until around 2010 and um at that point uh, actually, yeah, yeah, right around that point. I had worked uh, for a few years for Irving Asoff at at, uh, at at AGP Management, at Frontline Management, and I was working um, was working for a bit on the Smashing Pumpkins before they they um, you know broke up um, at that time, and uh, um, you know kind of soaked a lot in there from. Um, the way that larger touring operations um maneuver and also um scaling you know and and of course um you know any idea that that came across the desk was always a big one so you know that that's you know always a great i think um lesson for everybody is that the ideas are you know can only be as big as the way that you imagine them you know so um, I, I really learned a lot there and then, yeah, in 2010, after, after frontline, after that, uh, was all purchased by live nation, um, I moved over to red light management. And, um, at the time red light was still a, a boutique management company that mostly specialized in, um, you know, legacy and jam band and, and Americana and, um, you know was they were really looking to expand um you know expand their roster and expand their horizons and and um you know so um what i was was really keen to do when i came to red light was to start uh looking for intellectual property and you know get get further into the um you know the family entertainment and the 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 licensing business. And so, um, you know, and in addition to that, continue to manage top talent, um, two things happened right at the beginning within, um, within about six months of working at red light, I started managing Victoria justice. And, and at the time, um, victorious was just taking off and, um, you know, and Victoria was, uh, really just, um, You know, getting a tremendous amount of opportunities and uh, you know, and started recording music, so that happened. In addition to that, I started um producing um the Fresh Beat Band, and uh, you know, one kind of dovetailed from the other in terms of you know, part of the the relationship and the success with Victoria led to some of the trust you know from Nickelodeon to step in and produce the Fresh Beat Band. Um, I had worked on some some family entertainment um you know uh, you know previously but this was the first time that i had partnered with a network directly and um you know working with nickelodeon uh was incredible for many reasons but mostly because you get to understand the way um that so many people can work together in so many divisions to lift something up. Mm -hmm. And when, when and, and and when an army of people gets behind something, whether it's at a record label or at a network, you know, and, and, and and lift something up, then it's really hard to uh, deny the power of that brand. And I think that's what happened with both Victorious and with, with Fresh Beat Band, you know, and, and uh, um, so we went into, to 2000, 2012, 2013, with basically the number one preschool show and the number one, um, you know, teen tween show, and so you know that was an incredible ride, and and, and um, you know, Victoria did several successful tours, and Fresh Beat Band did several successful tours, and and from there, you know, we just started. Um, getting more aggressive, but, but almost on like a sharpshooter basis. Like we weren't, we knew that we didn't have the scaling yet to be able to take on a ton of productions. Mm-hmm. So we just really got strategic about, you know, identifying partners that um, that would be viable and, um, and and all the same time continuing to manage more, um, you know, more talent that was coming out of the, you know, uh, I, I would say you know Disney Nickelodeon system but also uh other other pop and teen talent you know that and helping other people to um you know kind of connect the dots between their TV career and their music career and maybe their fashion you know what they have going on in the fashion side mm-hmm. and really um i would say not just helping them to to carve their path but also connect the dots and make sure that there's syner- synergy between each of those areas and when the timing and synergy is right it makes each one of those you know uh kind of touch points more powerful and i think that um you know that's that's kind of been the been the approach and and the strategy um you know fresh feet band ended up selling about. Um, 600, 700,000 tickets. And, uh, and then we dovetailed straight into, to Peppa Pig on the production side, uh, which, you know, has now become one of the most successful family shows, you know, of the past uh, decade and, and, um, t- you know, nominated for a uh, Star award and, and all kinds of great things. But, you know, the, each show is, is different. Peppa is really based on, on the simplicity of that brand. It's not, there's no laser light show or Mm -hmm. giant, you know, um, giant video. It's really based on the simplicity. Whereas, you know, some of the other shows we do are, are much more technologically advanced or, or, you know, or driven by other, you know, by other elements. So, you know, I think you pick something up along the way from each one of these things. And, and, you know, part of this, the, the success has been, Exactly that treating each one like it's its own artist, you know, treating, treating the, them all equally, you know, mm-hmm. and, and finding a, um, you know, finding a balance, you know, so that, um, y- you know, each one can be true to its brand, and not just put into some cookie cutter mold, like to just really try to super serve the brand and understand how, you know, um you know kind of how to elevate things based on the core properties of that prop of that of that ip
0: yeah yeah no that makes sense it makes sense to me and i think that's why you're seeing so much success because you know how to super serve and and like to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. That brand to the target audience. You're not just trying to like vanilla, you know, just one size fits all type production. But... I I have questions. Um, because you're in line, yeah. I'm very curious about like the state of the industry and whatnot. And I want to go there, but before I do that, I want to close off your career. So it, now it's 2020. Um, you've had incredible success managing all these household names. Um, you manage them across different types of industries from from what I guess would be considered I don't know if it's more traditional, but I guess uh, more adult uh type um focus productions all the way through to uh child and teen and tween and whatnot so what is that when you when you have success in this industry what does that award mean where do you go from here for red light for your career what is the next steps and, and what does that award actually uh mean for you
1: well you know i think two things one for you know first of all it's just an honor to even be you know in the mix and considered for something like this. I think that, um, you know, one of the, the tent poles of what I've tried to, to stand by is in addition to all of the entertainment and content that we provide to also do things that are, that give back to the community and that are philanthropic as well. And, you know, i I've, I've um, worked on and produced a handful of uh, benefits uh, one for Stand Up To Cancer, you know, with with uh, when Ray Manzarek passed of the Doors, uh, and and one for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, with, which was a tribute to Linda Ronstadt, and uh, some stuff for the Otis Reading Foundation, and then mo- most recently I created and produced the Homeward Bound concert, which raised um, uh, over hundred thousand dollars for the Los Angeles and Southern California uh, homeless community. Just before the pandemic started, this the concert was uh, at the Wheel Turn on January 23rd, Um, and so you know this award, what it means to me is is just continuing to do the work that we need to do in the community to help you know not just uh, uh, raise funding but also raise awareness that that you know um, and especially in these times that even though. Things are, are very uncertain. There are still a lot of people and a lot of communities in need, and so I think what it means to me is just trying to do the small bit that I can to take a little bit of a leadership role to spread the word and help people to get involved. And and um, specifically, the T.J. Martell uh, Foundation raises money for uh, cancer research, and specifically this year uh, for people on the front lines that that that, that are that are helping. And so, um, and the foundation has worked tirelessly for years to raise millions of dollars for, uh, for cancer research. And so I'm just thrilled to be, be a small part of that and try and bring some of the artists that I work with together and some of the, you know, um, folks that I've been lucky enough to cross paths with, uh, um, you know, into the orbit of this event and, and help make it as successful as possible. And also, you know, uh, um, it's also meant to be a fun event as well and interactive. So this year it'll be virtual and, uh, you know, taking place sometime uh, this October. And, um, you know, like I said, it's uh, thank you for asking and, and uh, you know, yeah, well, any, no, sm-
0: any small bit helps, you know? No, it's a, it's good. It's good work you're doing. Um, Like just outside of the success. Cause I, I know that there's a lot of people that have success, but it's nice to see when you purposely do something that is, outside of, you know, not your own comfort zone, but outside of uh, a personal benefit or a business benefit, right? Like this is just helping, helping out others. And I think that I like, I like the way you phrase that, Um, even though we're in pandemic times, in very stressful times, all these marginalized groups, all these groups that needed help before still need help now. It's not like their situation has gotten any better. And that's a whole other long conversation, but it still is, it's, you know, it's very relevant. Um, And I think that's something that we have to remember. I think we forget quite easily. We sort of focus on the the flavor of the day, you know, for the current. And there's just
1: so much news, you know, that it's hard to, you know, it's, you know, know. and and um, it's it's hard to get people to uh, to keep perspective and focus. But this is the time, you know. Um,
0: so let's let's speak about it. You know, you mentioned that this next event you're going to be holding is going to be virtual, obviously because of COVID and 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 the fact that we've all been sort of migrated home or, or, or we can't have the same types of you know events that we used to have what's, what's the state of the industry for live uh, for concerts yeah well when? I joked
1: with you before that I would get yeah. out the crystal ball so yeah. I guess this is the time <laughs> when can um, I go
0: to a concert again
1: <laughs> uh, you know Listen, there's there's varying answers to this, and it all depends on what you classify as a concert, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you could go to a concert in Orange County at a drive-in uh, probably next weekend that will be, you know, a great concert. It just won't be the, what you traditionally knew as a concert. It'll be a drive-in show, and and, you know, there'll be 250 cars, and the music will be coming through an app, you know, mm-hmm. that you can bluetooth to your radio um you know it's it's just a matter of um perspective of how or perception of how and perspective of how you viewed the live experience previously as opposed to what it may look like in the future um when are you going to be able to see cold player the rolling stones in a full stadium i don't think anybody knows the answer to that question Mm -hmm. and it's impossible to to you know even articulate what would need to go into planning something like that right now. Um, I think that one thing that needs to happen is that we need to focus on the small venues, the clubs and theaters, which are benchmarks of our cities and of our communities and and of our culture, you know? And um, a lot of those venues are struggling to survive. Their margins are a lot smaller. So I think one thing that can happen or one, you know, that everybody can help with on a small level is as concerts start happening back up on a smaller level, supporting those local acts, because that's what's gonna keep, you know, that's what's gonna keep these places being able to, to stay open and operate for when your favorite artist is able to come through again in X amount of months. Um, I, I don't think that, um, you know, there's going to be um, any doubt that when things come back, there will be an appetite for it. It's just, you know, what will look different? What what will the scaling, you know, how different will the scaling be? And just like after 9-11, there's certain protocols that we all had to get used to, you know, um, when we went to the airport. And and I think this is similar. There's going to have to be new protocols that we all have to adhere to and get used to um, going forward with with mass gatherings, whether that's, live events or sporting events, et cetera. And um, I do have incredible confidence and hope that it will all, you know, uh, uh, be healthy again in the future. I think we
0: just have um, a path to get there. And uh, do you find that talent is stressing about the future of their own career or is there a playbook that you've been working on with some of the talent to mitigate any sort of damage and revenue that they've, they, they would receive from live?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting is that um, a lot of the artists and their businesses were able to receive assistance, you know, in the first round of assistance. I think that the difference between the music business and what I would call the mass gathering business, whether that's a hundred people, a thousand people, a hundred thousand people is, it continues to be shuttered. A lot of other businesses have been allowed to reopen at this point in some capacity. Um, Right now, there's no plan for the music business or the entertainment business to to reopen. So it's kind of remaining shuttered longer than most of the other businesses. So I think managing that is going to be interesting over the next 12 months. Um because I think a lot of people managed and mitigated their 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 losses and their you know their concerns over the last x amount of months well you know the music business and and entertainment business has you know has yeah. a long long ride ahead. so you know, I think that um short answer to your question is there are other revenues, but for most artists, they're not nearly as robust as you know what what touring revenue is, right? I mean, sure, there's some live stream, you know, stuff that has, the platforms that have, have emerged that have provided some, uh, you know, payment for artists and there's some branding out there and publishing. And I think, you know, for artists that are maybe, you know, super successful on social media or on TikTok, there's brand activations and things of that nature. Um, but even so for, for a musician or, or for, for the majority, no matter where you are in the ecosystem, it's marginal compared to what a normal 2020 would have been. Mm-hmm. You know, and and also you have to remember that the music business and entertainment business was having record year over record year over record year in terms of ticket sales and box office. And I mean, it was just you know, I I, I don't want to quote how many years of wins in a row it was, but I mean, the, the, certainly entertainment was was uh, um, continuously Build year over yeah. year. Yeah. It wasn't slowing Absolutely. down. Absolutely, yeah, no, no. So this has been, um, you know, at first we were calling it a, a pause and then a reset, and now I think it's going to be a restart.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's well said. I think it, yeah. Well, I think that's most industries are trying to figure out. But like you, like you mentioned, like entertainment in particular is definitely um, on a hiatus that's a little bit longer than than others. And like with that <laughs> that big question mark, right? Like that, no, no one knows when it's going to end. That's difficult. That's very that's that's tough, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I also think somebody's gonna need to, to take a leadership position. I mean, I I, I wish, you know, at, at that um um somebody would, you know, figure out a way in a crowdless capacity to almost do like a live aids style concert that could help, you know, help the industry over this next period of time and you know, gather the, the world's most influential artists to come together and if you were able to do that there would certainly be an appetite for it uh you know via you know the dsps and the streaming services and you know various content providers so you know but beyond that i think it would you know if you had that kind of distribution and that kind of talent you could really make an impact in terms of how the music industry can restart over this next period of time. And also I think instill some confidence in people that big concerts can still happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just curious because you're so involved in the, in the music industry and this can also, you can answer this question almost pre pandemic if you'd like, but what is the biggest (laughs) opportunity in, in music that you see happening right now for artists or for investors or for stakeholders to get involved in?
1: That's a great question. I mean, I, I think that the Listen. In the pandemic, a lot of you know, there's certainly publishing and catalogs are are a important part of the the equation. But I think that um, in the big picture, I think that what's most important is um, gathering IP and really understanding um, the timing on the live landscape. Because I think that that in terms of of you know, if you're looking at like investors, et cetera, it's just understanding when things actually can happen because I think there there will be wins out there. Um, and, and beyond that, I mean, there's certainly plenty of other revenue streams for artists. It's just um, you know they're 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 diminished right now, and you know because of the pandemic. But um, you know, I would just say that uh, you know the bright spots are that there's tons of great content out there. And there's, you know, tons of, you know, I would, re- I think new music and new art that's going to come out of this period of time, you know, of, of, uh, you know, people being uh, reflective and uh, quarantined mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a- a- and understanding the need for, you know, systemic and social change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. Um, is there anything, uh, I want to ask Like a couple like rapid fire personal um like insight questions from your career, but before I get into those, is there anything that I should have asked about, about music, about production, um, about the industry, the state of the industry that I didn't ask you? Um, Major points. I don't think there's
1: anything, anything specific, you know, I, I think that, um, I think you nailed it. nailed okay. it out of the park. <laughs>
0: Well, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. No, I just sometimes, like, I don't know what I don't know. So if there's things that are, like, super, super hyper-relevant to your industry, um, that's what I, I just wanted to open it up, just in case.
1: Um, I think the biggest thing right now is that more than ever, there needs to be open conversation and there needs to be, um, you know, collaboration amongst all parties. And that means, you know, managers and agents and promoters and, you know, record labels and everybody to help because it's... Um, you know, our industry has never seen anything like this. And mm-hmm. of course, there's still the, the need for, for culture and art and live music and comedy and all of these things and family entertainment. It's just, um, I think we're going to need everybody to come together to figure out how to, to, to lift it back up.
0: Yeah, no, very well said. Um, okay. A couple, a couple questions just about, about your career and, and what you've experienced. What is, Where do you go to continue to learn things in order to stay on top of your role, your industry? What's your go-to resource?
1: (laughs) Um, Well, my, my son still teach, teaches me, my 10 and 13 year old son still teach me things all the time. (laughs) That's a good answer. (laughs) I like that. Um, For instance, um, I, uh, I uh, started uh managing um a guy named uh, alejandro Aranda. his his artist name is scary pool party mm-hmm. and this guy is an absolute genius i mean one of the most versatile and and you know just unbelievable uh, pure you know raw pure talents i've ever you know uh i've ever seen and also one of the most sincere uh, and soulful human beings I've ever, I've ever met and, and just caring. And, you know, so one day, uh, you know, we were watching, um, uh, my son was watching American Idol and, um, I had the, the opportunity to be able to manage, you know, folks that were on the show and my son turned to me and he, as Alejandro was playing his song and it was the first time he'd ever seen him. And, uh, he turned to me and he said, dad, are you going to manage this guy? And I said, I, I hope so. You know, it, 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 that'd be amazing. And and um, and he said, Well, I just think he's going to be a massive artist. You know, and um, and of course, sure enough, he, he he you know, in addition to to just uh, uh, um, continuing to, you know, output great great songs. You know, he he has gone on to sell out tours and, you know, on Lollapalooza and and uh, tons of huge festivals, Austin City Limits, and is really building a, 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 nice, uh, foundation for his career and, and just, uh, unbelievably pure talent. So that's, that's my, my go-to. And then, you know, my, my, uh, my family, of course. And, you know, I, I do, um, also have an incredible team that I work with at, at you know, um, you know, at red light and, uh, they're incredibly supportive and smart and, um, and on top of it. So, you know, I'm just super grateful to to them.
0: No, very good. Um what would be advice that you would give somebody who wants to go into a career similar to yours?
1: Um I think the biggest thing is that yeah. You have to in addition to the obvious things like really wanting to do it, you have to just stay fluid because you just don't know where, you know, once you get on the once you get on the raft, you don't know where the river is going to flow, you know? So part of it is that you want to get on the river, you mm-hmm. know? And so I never envisioned that I was going to be a producer or maybe even a manager. I thought at first when I was in college, I was going to be an entertainment attorney, you know? So I, I think part of it is just be flexible, be open-minded and try to find balance because the balance is what opens your mind to the other ideas. If you don't have balance, you're too close in front of your face. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the the balance in life is what gives you the, the you know, the flexibility and the open-mindedness to, to, you know, Be have the ability to have the ability. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, And doubling down on that question. So that was advice for, for others, but, what would what would be a piece of advice that you would tell your younger self?
1: Oh man, I think the biggest one is uh, you don't need to react so quickly. Um, uh, enjoy the moment, you know, um, savor the moment. Um, just enjoy the relationships. Uh, you know, because they're that, that that's what's going to last. You know, that's what's going to be the lasting, um, you know, kind of part, you know, legacy of mm-hmm. of, of all of this. And um, you know, uh, I think the other part is just um, keep. I, I would think I would tell myself just keep my head up whenever things were not seeming that they're going going your way to just just keep your head up and and uh you know don't get too high on the highs and don't get too low on the lows
0: that actually tees up okay so the question another question i like to ask um the best day of your life and the worst day of your life and why (laughs) well the best day of my life
1: was 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 probably the day i got married in new Orleans. that's a good answer
0: that's a good answer
1: absolutely (laughs) unbelievable magical day and and you know, was the the beginning of um, you know being uh, married to my amazing wife, and uh, we met at Tulane, and and uh, we got married in New Orleans, and we had the Dirty Dozen Brass Band and uh, the New Orleans Club for All Stars and some Mardi Gras Indians, and so and and of course all of our friends and family, you know, and, and so that was just uh, probably you know the best day of my my
0: life. Do you, have, do you have a worst day that, that, you, that you learned from that was notable that, that people can learn from?
1: You know, I don't know if I have a worst day, but I definitely um, had a couple days where, yeah, um, I, I would say it wasn't necessarily like one day. It's mm-hmm. just kind of like, you know, part of being in the representation business is that um, you get to, hopefully sign artists and sign, you know, and work with people, but those relationships don't all last forever. And I think that, um, you know, probably some of the toughest days I had were, you know, when certain relationships, you know, that I thought might have really blossomed, didn't, you know, didn't, uh, come to fruition or didn't, you know, I think there's been, I wouldn't call them worst, worst days in any, mm-hmm. in any way. I, I think, you know, um, downs or, or, or things I, I, guess that
0: work
1: out. I guess actually thinking about the question, I feel kind of blessed, that I don't feel that I have, you know, those kinds of days. But I think that, um, you know, look, a part of it is just um, there are up days and there are down days and, uh, you know, and I think that part of, part of this is just uh, understanding that, that, you know there are going to be those times where it doesn't always all work out you know Mm -hmm. there have been other shows that i wanted to produce that i didn't get to produce or other artists i wanted to manage but you know what the ones that i did get to manage or i'm managing i'm super grateful for and i'm super passionate about and projects i get to produce I'm you know super humbled by and 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 you know grateful to work with those brands and you know i think that um you know when i think about the question of like the, the worst day, I think it's, it's really um, ultimately just, uh, um, you know, when those things happen, you just have to, to kind of take, take reflection and, 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 you know, think about how you can do better the next time or, you know, yeah. or, or, or shape the experience slightly differently.
0: Very good. I like that answer a lot. Um uh who are uh just a few more rapid fire than uh, than I yeah. want to get uh I want to get some information about where people can connect with you but first um what are or who are excuse me uh three people in your life that have been the most influential on on what you've achieved
1: wow um okay um i would say uh, for, you know the first answer is kind of you know ties together, but it's, you know, I would say Mickey Hart and and Jerry Garcia. Uh, I would say my wife and I would say my parents.
0: Good. Very good. I like that. So you have wife, you have family, then you have professional. That's very good. Um, And then lastly, uh, what does success mean to you?
1: That's an amazing question too. I mean, you know what what success means to me is being a good role model for others around me, helping others uh, to find their path, and you know, helping others along their path. uh, Being open minded to all different kinds of ideas, and you know, and also wherever those ideas may come from. You never know where a good idea may come from, and I would just say, you know, success to me is looking upon, uh, um, you know, others around me, both in my family and in my, you know, kind of professional orbit and, and hoping to leave a positive uh, uh, um, impression, you know, and be a good role model for all of those folks and, and helping ultimately to hopefully lift, lift them up. You know, and in in and, and, and uh, in in life.
0: A very, very good answer. Um, and then the most important question, where can uh the listeners connect with you online?
1: Yeah, so the best way to connect with me is drop me an email. I'm at Jonathan at redlightmanagement All spelled out, redlightmanagement dot com. J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N.
0: That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know.